Good morning. Last week we talked about um, spiritual exhaustion and what that looks like and how uh, we get exhausted when we're not actually resting in the Lord and we're trying to find ways to rest, uh, worldly ways I guess you would say, when we find other ways to rest other than God himself. And uh, so today, maybe that would be bigger that way, there we go. So today we're actually going to talk about, uh, we're going to continue to what the, the theme of what the day's been. We're going to actually talk about the freedom to live and uh, just what that looks like. You know, sometimes we can, we can be resting and we're spending time with God and we're spending time with God and we're doing what we think God's calling us to, but we still just feel bound. We don't feel like we're living. We don't feel like there's life in us anymore and we just feel like giving up. And uh, in this world today, that's very easy to get to. But in the world as a whole, if you look all the way through Scripture, it's always been very easy for people to get to the place where they just want to give up. You remember Paul said, you know, Lord, I'd love to go home, but for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And he was going to live for Christ and uh, I just want to talk about that that freedom to live. And we're going to be in Galatians 5 at first. And uh, I'm going to read this, the beginning of Galatians 5 before we get into prayer. And it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. And I like that. For freedom Christ has set us free. Like that's, that's the same word. But he set us free so we can be free. Not set us free so we can be bound. Not set us free so we can continue the way we were living. Uh, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And, uh, whoo. So he's talking about here, whenever he's talking about this, is, uh, the fact that we were always slaves to the world. We were slaves to sin. We were slaves to the flesh before this. And now that we're free, we're not slaves. And we were slaves to the law. And we're not slaves to the law. We're free. We're not bound by the law anymore, right? And say, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This this persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In the case, in this case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who, unset, who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. For through love, serve one another. 
For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for today. Lord, I ask that you would just, you would make your, your, your word alive to us, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, God, that I would get out of your way and you would share with us what you have, God, and we would each be changed by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So that was a whole lot of him just saying, look, stop trying to fulfill the law to stay with Christ. Nor stop trying to fulfill the law. He's saying that we need to live in love. We need to live it out. We need to live for Christ. It's not about laws or no laws. You know, you hear some Christians come out and say, well, the the number one rule in Christianity is there are no rules. And... I find that to be wrong. The uh, the number one rule in Christianity is that we've been saved by Christ and we now live for Christ. And we love one another. And that's the number one rule in Christianity. But it's not that the rules went away. He fulfilled them. He fulfilled all the laws. And now we are to live by his example, right? But we're not bound by that. And we're not... Uh, we're not to live in the flesh anymore. Things have actually changed. And uh, as I said last week, that, that when we get tired and we get wore out spiritually, oftentimes we're trying to figure out ways to make up for that, right? We're trying to get our own ways of resting. Same thing happens here. Whenever we start feeling like we're not living properly or we're bound by the world or by flesh or sin or whatever it is that's trying to hold us back, we start trying to figure out our own way to battle that. We start figuring out what we need to do. How am I going to stop this? What am I going to do? Why is my life the way it is? I need a plan. I need to figure this out. I'm looking around, about half of you are planners and about half of you aren't. So you come up with the plans and those of us that aren't planners, we're just like, hey, it'll work out. Right? That's what we do. I know that's true because of people smiling, right? Ryan and I aren't planners, so we're both like, it to come around. <laughs> and it, uh, just the way we are. But we always have our own ideas about how things should be often, you know? And it's, rather you're like, I don't make a plan, I'm good. Or if you say, I need a plan and I'll follow it out, right? One of the two. But I'm going to go through the rest of Galatians, and then we're going to look at a man who from the Old Testament that went through this. In Galatians 5, going through it further in verse 16, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Right? And I do want you to understand, I'm going to use all of Galatians 5. But I also want you to understand, whenever he's talking about flesh, it says that some of these attributes are, are the works of the flesh. I'm going to show you that it might be more than what he says, right? So, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And I probably don't have to ask this, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. How many of you guys, without a show of hands, so you don't condemn yourself or make yourself feel separated... 
have been in that point, and I, I'll tell you, I have many a times where you're like, I'm going to do this because I feel like God wants me to do that, and then when it comes time to do that, you're doing a complete different thing, right? I know God wants me to be here. I know I'm supposed to do this, this, and this, and then whenever it comes to do this, this, and this, you're over in a whole different area doing something you didn't even plan to do, but somehow you got there, and you're like, man, I really wanted to be a part of that other thing, and now I'm here, or it's... I, I thought I was supposed to be at this meeting, and I'm, I'm too tired, I'm going to go to sleep. Or there's always something that gets away in what we feel like God's calling us to do. And that's because the work of the flesh is an enemy of the work of the Spirit. Right? But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. They are evident. That means we recognize them. We don't have, like, I, I think Paul gives you examples just so they would know, but he's like, it's evident. You already know the works of the flesh. It's evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So that's not the whole list. It's things like that, the things that are fleshly, the things that are selfish, the things that are carnal in nature, the things that are for you are the works of your flesh, right? Then he goes on, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit... And I like it if you, the one up in the front when it says now the works of the flesh, or some say fruits, that's a multiple works. But whenever we come to the fruit of the Spirit, it's one fruit. And it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, there's no law against all that good characteristics of that fruit, right? But whenever, if we have the Holy Spirit and we're walking with the Holy Spirit, we should have freedom and there should be love in us. There should be joy. There should be a peace in us. There should be a patience in us. There should be a kindness in us. There should be goodness. There should be faithfulness in us. There should be gentleness. We should have self-control, right? These are things that should always be there in us. And you may say like, well, I got all of them except for joy. I lack joy in my life, which is probably the one lacked most nowadays is that joy. They're like, I just don't know how to get that joy. I will tell you, it's because you're probably not walking in the Spirit fully. Something's bound you up. You're not free to have that joy come out. I remember uh, Josh Smith teaching in here one day, talking about when we don't see one of the attributes of the fruit of the Spirit, it's probably because there's a clog somewhere keeping that attribute from coming out, and it needs to be addressed, right? Well, I'm going to, to say, first off, that it is true, but secondly, if one of them's lacking, the rest probably aren't at their full potential, because it's all the characteristics of the one fruit of the Holy Spirit, Right?
If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And uh, if we are truly in the Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is in us, we will walk with the Holy Spirit. We will be guided by the Holy Spirit. And there is a difference in living uh, by the Spirit and walking by the Spirit, right? There is a difference. That's why he separates this. And I'm going to go to 1 Kings 19, and we're going to talk, see how uh, Elijah handles this, right? And uh, Elijah in chapter 18, I'm going to explain chapter 18. What happens is uh, Jason has preached on this before, and it's always the fun, one of the funniest chapters in all of Scripture, right? It's where Elijah shows himself to Ahab, and Ahab's talking about his prophets and all that, and he has Elijah has a showdown with the prophets of Ahab, right? All the other prophets are gone. He's the only one, and they have hundreds. Like, what is it, 450 or 250 or something like that prophets he has? I think 250. And uh, they all come out, and they're supposed to do these great miracles, and Elijah just shows them up, and then he starts taunting them, right? He's like, well, maybe they're in the bathroom. Maybe they're relieving themselves, right? And it's, thankfully, we got a God that doesn't have to do that. He can take care of us at all times, but, you know, he's mocking their gods, and he's laughing at them. And then the people rise up, and he has all their prophets killed. And we're thinking, like, that's brutal, right? But... That's what he does. And it's a funny chapter, except for the killing part. Like, that may not be as funny. But the way he mocks the gods is what's funny. So if you get a chance to read First Kings 18, it's awesome. But it goes on in, in chapter 19. It says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and now he had, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, so may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Now, I will say this. That's a bold statement for her to say, because pretty much she's saying, I hope I'm going to die also if this isn't the case, if I don't make this happen. Uh, all of her prophets just got defeated. I probably wouldn't challenge the guy who who took them down, like who God used to defeat those prophets. Yet she did, because, well, we know she's evil. Then he was afraid, right? Now, this is a man who is walking according to what God's called him to do. He just wiped out all these prophets. He's doing everything the way God has called him to do it. Yet now he's afraid. not a fruit of the Spirit. That's a fruit of the flesh, right? But he's walking in the Spirit. He has the Holy Spirit with him. He's got God's blessing around him, yet fear seeps in, right? And we've all been there. We've all been close to the Lord, and something just gets in there on us. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. I like to just get on out of there, man. You're, you're on your own. I'm out. 
But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. I meant to look at that. I don't know what a broom tree is, but I like the fact that there's a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough now, O Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Now, here's what I will say. He's being very dramatic. And I say he's being very dramatic because he doesn't really want to die. If he really wanted to die, he would have stayed where he was at. Right? Because she said, I'm going to kill you, and he flees for his life. Why would you flee for your life and then say, God, let me die? Right? That, that It was never, his whole thought process is he's at the end of himself, and he's like, I don't know what to do, God. I'm ready to give up. That's pretty much what he means, but he's dramatic, and prophetic people are very dramatic. And so he's very dramatic here, asking God to just let him die. He's a day's journey into the wilderness, sitting underneath a tree, just like whenever uh, Jonah goes and sits under the tree and tries to, well, actually, God grew the tree for him to sit there. And he's sulking, and he's just wanting to die, and he don't know what to do. And uh, that's the way we are. God just let you wipe out hundreds of people with a sword, and now you're fearing for your life. God allows us to do such great things in ministry sometimes. We just see awesome things happen around us. And then the next moment we're like, is God even doing anything? Did God leave? Like, am I on my own? What's going on here? Right? So we could be walking with the Holy Spirit and Him doing things and then forget what God just did. We forget that we have the Holy Spirit with us and we get distracted. I just like how he says, it's enough now, O Lord. I just, I like how they talked to God back in the day. They were, they were up front, straight with him, and they didn't try to act like they didn't have a problem. They were honest. And he said, uh, O Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's, which were dead. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. This reminds me of the uh, Psalm 23, where, where he says, I will make you lie down in green pastures. You know, I will provide the food. I will put you at a table. And here he is. He has an angel there ministering to him in his worst time of his life, right? And he looked, and behold... There was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water, and he ate and drank and lay down again. And the the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and he drank, and he went in the strength of of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. And... uh. When we don't think we can keep going, God will keep us going, right? But he did cry out to the Lord. He didn't just keep trying to do what he wanted to do. He's crying out to the Lord and said, Lord, I have nothing. I have nothing left. I'm just like my dad's who are dead. I feel like I'm dead and I have nothing. Have you ever been that honest to God or you usually be like, God, just please help me. Like, you know, I'm trying my best and I'm doing. Or have you ever just said, God, I have nothing. Without you, there's nothing. I'm done. That's it. Sometimes we have to actually make that kind of declaration to God. God, this is it. I don't get it. I'm fed up. I don't know, right? 
When I get frustrated with God, I have to tell him that. God, I'm frustrated. I don't know. I can't figure this out, right? And usually he's like, that's because you're not that smart. You don't know my plans. I know my plans, right? That's the way it is. So, we go on and he says, and I do like, he provided that food and it lasted for, kept him energetic for 40 days and 40 nights. That's some, that's some God food right there. You know what I mean? When the angel's providing your food, when God's providing the food you need to get through, it'll get you through. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He knew why he was there. I mean, you know, but he wants you to say it. Just like in the Garden of Eden, whenever he says, Where are you at, Adam? Right? Why have you covered yourself, Adam? He knew why. He wants us to be honest with him. He can't help us until we're honest with him. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And uh, how many of us have ever felt like we're the only ones left? I am by myself in this. Like, everything's going a mess, and nobody understands what's going on, and it's just me. I'm it. Where's everybody who's supposed to be helping? Where's all these people? And we may even say, like, as a church, we may say, like, why are the other churches not doing this? Or why are all these people leaving the church? Or why is it, right? We always have a, we're looking at the grand scheme of things, of like, this is a mess. God, why have you left me to be the one? Why is it me? And that's where he's at. He's just fed up, and, and I get it. I've never had all the prophets around me get killed but me. But if I did, I'm sure I'd act just like he is. And he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And, the, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And I like that he puts all that in there. Because a lot of times we see a lot of stuff happening, like a lot of big things, and we get distracted by it. And uh, how many people do you know, like how many how many times have people followed the loud thing, the the busy thing, the... I think God's in that. That's powerful. I think God's in this because of this. I, that movement over there looks great, and they just start going. Whatever's the first thing that pops up, right? Or you have a loud wind that comes in, right? And you get scared and you leave because you're like, well, I guess God ain't in this. Or an earthquake happens, you're like, where was God in that earthquake? Or a big fire happens and you're like, man, why does all this keep happening? There's a big strong tornado come through, there's an earthquake, and now we've got a natural disaster with this forest fire. Where is God? Right? We can get real distracted by what, what's going on around us oftentimes, but he didn't. Because it says, and after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. 
And I don't know how long it took for the other two, the, the other three to happen, the, the strong wind, the, earth, the earthquake, and the fire. I'd assume it took a little bit of time for all that to happen. But then the, the low whisper, and it said, And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. I don't think we're always seeking that whisper. I think sometimes we want that. We just want God to do something. We want God to take care of something. We want God to move powerfully. Like, God, smite my enemies right now. Or, God, do this. Or, God, give me all this money to do this. And God's just waiting for us to listen to that whisper. Waiting for us to hear his voice. To take that time and... And I don't know that we go into prayer enough. Like I said last week, we are to rest in the Lord. We need to seek Him. We need to be in His Word. We need to be praying. But while we're praying, we also have to be listening. And uh, I remember driving over to Bridge, geez, probably 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years ago. I don't know, a long time ago, driving over to Bridge, and I'm just praying. And I don't even remember what I'm praying about. And I'm praying, I'm just like, Lord, how come I'm not hearing you? And the Lord says, because you haven't shut up. Right? Because I just kept talking. And we often go into prayer, and that's what we do. We just keep talking. God, this is the problem. God, that's the problem. God, you need to do this to fix it. God, you need to do that to fix it. Lord, why aren't you doing this? Why not that? God, what about this? And God's like, I'm trying to tell you. Just shut up for a minute. Listen. Right? And it, who, how do I know? Elijah may have been sitting there and been like, what's up with this earthquake? What's up with this storm? What's up with this fire? You know, I don't know what he was doing, because I probably would have been. I'd be like, God, what's going on here? I'm kind of scared. What if it gets into the cave? I'm going to die. But he didn't. It's that whisper. Sometimes you just got to stop and listen. You cannot know what the Holy Spirit is saying if you're not listening. He's not ever going to force himself upon you. He's never going to make you do what you don't want to do. Right? We can't just sit there and him just say, all right, you're going to do this. And he pushes you. No. He's waiting for you to listen. And he's going to say, hey, Tracy, I love you and I want you to do this. And you're going to be like, whew, that was God. Right? That's what he's waiting. He's waiting for you to listen. But we don't always listen. And then whenever God started speaking, and instead he wrapped himself in his cloak, it's kind of like he went into that private place. He kind of got separated. You know, back then they would cover their heads in prayer. They would make sure they were they were in their secret place. And he kind of went into a secret place and just let God talk to him. And uh, if you've ever spent time in prayer, uh, extended time in prayer, you do far less talking than you do listening. And that's the only way you can spend time of prayer, an extended time of prayer. Because if you're always talking, you're going to bore yourself, and you're going to give up praying. You're going to be like, I don't know how people pray so long. Five minutes into it, I ran out of stuff to say, and I was ready to go. And that's true if you're trying to carry the conversation, Right? Let the one who's educated carry the conversation. You just listen. Right? I'm not saying you don't talk because you have to ask questions. You have to let him know how you feel. You have to unleash yourself to him 
there is a time that you have to just vent to God. Elijah did that. He vented to God. In a very dramatic way, but he vented to God, and God's big enough for us to vent dramatically. If you remember Job, Job vented to God, and God finally was like, where were you at when I did all this? What do you understand? And it was nothing, right? So we have to remember to vent, then listen. And said, uh, where are we at? And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said, go return the way, your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And I like how he just, like, he didn't really say a different prayer. He actually said the exact same prayer. He said the exact same thing when God asked him why he was there. He didn't change it. He was like, well, I've been waiting all this time. I'm tired. Like, I told you all this stuff before. Now I got all, he just said the same thing. I'm, this is what's going on, God. God, this is what's going on. God is, sometimes you've got to present to God over and over. And usually it's because you're not at a place yet to hear his voice. Right? And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be the king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shephat, of Abel Mahola, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the needs that have, bowed not, have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Right? So... I like that he points out real quick that you're not alone. You're going to go anoint three people to stand in my place, stand in for me. And there's 7,000 other ones that have not bowed to Baal. Which tells me that Elijah thought he knew everything, but he didn't. He thought he was the only person left serving God, and he wasn't. And sometimes we get to the point to think that we're the only ones or we get to the point that other people just aren't quite there. They're not ready. I'm like ahead of them, or, you know, which goes to that flesh of conceitedness or, or pride or whatever reason, and we start feeling alone, like we're the only ones. And God's like, nope. I'm going to give you these three people, and they're going to work together, and they're going to serve me together. And then he said, those who keep following me are going to be with you, right? And I'm going to go back up to, I'm going to go back to Galatians 5 here. Because I want you to see how that worked for Elijah, right? Elijah, I'm alone, nobody there. And then God, he seeks the Lord, takes that quiet time with the Lord, gets in touch with it. Before he was following 
He was in the Spirit, doing things for God. And then whenever the whole, you start walking with God, something big happens when he starts doing what God tells him to do. And he starts walking with him in, in the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And it's because whenever, he, whenever we get to Galatians 5, 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such thing there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us become, I didn't even go far enough, provoking one another, I didn't go far enough up. Right here, I want to be in 16. Maybe, nope. There we go. I want to be in 14. Somewhere around there. It says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves, for you were called to freedom, brothers. You were called to be free. You're not called to be anxious. You're not called to be walking in the fleshly things. You're not called to feel alone. You're not called to be bound by any kind of slavery, by any kind of... Uh, you're just not to be called bound. You're to be free. It started out saying Christ gave freedom to those he set free. If he set us free, why do we often feel like we're not free to do stuff? Why do we often feel like we're not walking in freedom? Right? And that's what happened to Elijah. He got to the point to where he wasn't walking in that freedom. He felt like he was going to die at any moment. He felt like the world was coming against him. And let me tell you that, that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ said the world will hate you, and it will come against you. And you will never feel the freedom if you're focused on that. You will always feel like you're bound up, because the world will hate you. Not just the people of the world, the world itself will hate you. It will try to bring you down, right? But then he says, only do not use your freedom, and Ryan, you can come back up, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. Right? He was worried about his life. He was worried about what's next. He was worried about, like, God, I'm ready to give up. But he said, I set you free to serve one another. So the first thing he did... When he was set free again, was God said, I want you to go out and talk to these people. And when you're going to know two kings and a prophet. I want you to serve them, right? For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I will tell you, if you are walking in true freedom, and you have the fruit of the Spirit in you, fruit is good. It's edible. It's, it's, it's pleasing. It's one of those things that uh, will provide nutrients. It's something other people desire, but the one thing fruit always does is it produces more fruit. Right? A tree cannot grow randomly. A tree grows because a piece of fruit has fallen and started to grow. Right? There has to be seeds that are planted, and a, a tree that doesn't bear fruit can't reproduce itself. And a tree that doesn't bear fruit, we know from Jesus, whenever the fig tree didn't bear fruit, Jesus cursed it, it withered, and it died. That's what's going to happen if we don't bear fruit. 
We have to be reproducing ourselves. When we're hearing the Holy Spirit, when we're walking in freedom, we will reproduce. Others will follow. We will start trying to share what we have. We will try to start discipling people. People will actually want to follow you. You won't have to force them to follow. You ever figured, had those moments where you're just like, nobody listens to me, I can't get anybody to understand what I'm saying? Because you can't. Because they don't want to. They have to want what's inside of you. It has to be pleasing to them, right? And so, we are free to walk in the Holy Spirit and to walk with the Holy Spirit. We are free to bear fruit and we are free to have all that that greatness of the fruit we are free to have love we are free to have joy we are free to have peace patience kindness goodness and faithfulness gentleness self-control all that should be in us at all times and how many people know that when you see somebody who has self-control you're like wow that person that's that's an envious characteristic i want that right If you see somebody who's just so good at loving, they love everyone around them, you want that. You're like, I want that, right? Joy. How many of you guys have met the Christian who has no joy in their life and they're grumpy and you don't even want to be around them you're a Christian? How's that person going to reproduce themselves when nobody even wants to be around them? Right? And we've all seen them. The grumpy Christian has no joy. They're miserable. What about peace? The doom and gloom Christian. The Christian who's always sitting around thinking like, man, the world's bad, this is happening, that's happening, and everything about them, when you're around them, they take your peace away. You don't even feel the peace anymore. Don't be that Christian. Right? Patience. I know a lot of impatient Christians. And when you watch them, you're just like, I don't want to be around that person. Kindness. That is one that we often don't even pay attention to. People who just can't say anything kind. They can't be nice to people. I struggle with this sometimes. Sometimes I just want you to know you're an idiot. Right? And not in love just because I'm unkind. Right? Goodness. We should at all times have goodness coming out of us. People should look at us and say, that is just, that person's so good. I remember in, years of youth group there's always those kids who were actually following the Lord and they were doing things right and all the other kids would always say oh that that one's a goody two shoes good that's what they want and those kids would always be offended by it until later on whenever they get a little older and those other kids said I always looked up to you because you were always doing what was right right the world may try to tear you down and people might tear you down but they actually look up to you when you're willing to do what others aren't doing Right? Faithfulness. I love little old ladies who follow Jesus Christ. When a little old lady follows Jesus Christ, everything they do is because they love Jesus Christ. They always tell you, well, Jesus will take care of it. God will do it. They have so much faith in Jesus Christ and what God's capable of. It's all you ever hear about. You hear about nothing else, and I love that. Right? I want to be that person who's always got that kind of faithfulness. Gentleness. Mm, That's a hard one. Can we be gentle without hurting people? 
because in our world today, there's always arguments. There's always strife, as, as it said, was a, 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 a work of the flesh. But we need to learn to be gentle with people. They've been attacked enough, but sometimes if you can just have that gentle word for somebody, it'll draw them in because we're able to be gentle. Self-control. If you can't control yourself, you are for sure not walking with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to pray here, and then after I pray, we're going to go into uh, communion. But I do want to make sure before we go into communion, we're making sure we are right with the Lord. And that we're ready for communion because, as Scripture tells us, if we take this wrongly, we'll be judged for it. And our hearts have to be ready to receive and to eat with the Lord and to take His communion, His elements, to eat that body and that blood. Have to examine ourselves and make sure we're right with the Lord before we do it. So I'm going to pray, and I hope you guys pray with me. And uh, so, Father God, I thank you, Lord. I pray that you would help us, God, to to not walk in the flesh, Lord, not to be guided by worldly things or by by our selfish ambitions, Lord, or anything, God, that is of us, God. I pray you would help us to have that freedom to walk with your Holy Spirit, to walk in your Holy Spirit, God, and to to show others your Holy Spirit, God. Give us that freedom, God, to multiply, to live in a way that people would desire to know you more. And God, when we struggle, I pray we'd be just like Elijah, that we would get away And we would just unload on you, God, and allow you to minister to us, God, to get us right back to where we need to be, God. We all struggle, Lord. We're only flesh. But you, Lord, have given us your Holy Spirit to walk us through all of this, Lord. And I thank you for that, and I'm grateful for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to uh, do communion here. I uh, will be in, if you want to follow along, we're in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. And uh, I'll wait. <laughs> I, uh, I always appreciate that, that the apostles would have taken this, this communion with Jesus. And he said that he would do it with them one time. He wouldn't do it again until he returned, but they were to do it always, every time they gathered. And I can only imagine the impact doing communion together after this had on their lives. Because in the moment whenever they're doing communion with him at first, it was just like taking a Passover. It was just kind of, to them, they didn't quite get it. But after they realized he was the one who was the Passover lamb, he was the one who fulfilled Everything up until that point, he fulfilled all the law. He fulfilled everything that their sins would be gone. And that they have the promise of eternal life. And all of it was only because of him. That 
everything that they practiced up until that moment was done. And every time they would gather together, not only did they probably just remember that awesome time with their Lord and Savior, but they also would have remembered that He did it all. And we have to remember that. He did it all for us. So it said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that He was betrayed took the bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me Father God we thank you that you died on that cross for us we thank you Lord that that you did all of that Lord just to take away our sins God to get us back to being one with you Lord in our old selves Lord we We chose to follow the world, Lord. We chose to to eat of the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God. But then whenever you died on that cross, you took all that away from us. Making it possible to have that oneness with you, Lord. That one life, God. And we thank you for that, God. And we're so grateful for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's take the bread. same way also. He took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father God we thank you that you allowed your blood to pour out God as the new covenant God. That new promise Lord that would that would make it to where we would be one with you forever, Lord, that we have eternal life because of that, God, that our sins have been covered and we've been made whole, Lord, to follow you, to live with you, and to have eternal life with you, Lord. We are so grateful. We are so thankful, Lord. We try to never take that for granted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God, I thank you for what what you do for us, Lord. I thank you for your word. God, I pray that that today, that as we go forward, Lord, you would remind us to always be walking with you. That you'd be reminding us, God, that we should be the fruit of your spirit, God, should always be so evident in us, Lord. And we'd be reminded that we should always be trying to multiply, God. Be with us. Comfort us, Lord. Let us be a blessing to you, God, and pleasing to you. And I thank you for everybody here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.